blood and sweat and time you put into it during the week. And when you get here, it's like, what if I don't say the right thing? And people then are just like, Pastor, just stop and come back next week and we'll give you another try. No one's ever told me that. You don't ever tell a pastor that. But it used to be that this was the hardest time of the week for me. And what I have found over the last four to five years is that this has now become the part I look forward to the very most. Uh, This is the part where I find the most peace and tranquility. And to echo Imar's, the words of Imar's, we had a very long and hard and hectic, and the week was just such a difficult one that all I could think about was, I can't wait for Sabbath. (laughs) I hear her whisper. (laughs) Um, But we're here now, and so I I just want to share a few words with you this morning. And um, open your hearts, your minds to this, and, and I promise you that you, you will be blessed as I have been blessed by this message myself. And um, this morning's sermon title, I didn't put it in the bulletin, it's Be Faithless. And, and somebody said, oh, you're just using reverse psychology. And I said, no, I, I actually mean exactly what that means. And um, this is last week. Does anybody remember the title of the sermon last week? Don't Come to Church. And I realized afterwards it's, uh, I didn't explain it very well, so I'll explain it another time. <laughs> But this morning, I promise, it says, be faithless. Be faithless. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you, I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. And this is what it says. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they, meaning you and I, would have life abundantly. Now, we use this Bible verse all of the time. I've used it in my little bio at the last church that I had. I I, I wrote a little blurb about how the reason that I became a pastor is because I believe in the most abundant kind of life and that the only way to really attain it is through Jesus. And so I wrote a thing, you know, like pastors like to write stuff, right? And so I wrote a little it and yet its meaning is still very elusive wouldn't you say because if you look at your week some of you some of us have had a really hard week we think to ourselves my life is not very abundant even talking about resources I'm not talking about money or material possessions that's the wrong conversation to have when Jesus says I've come that you would have life and have it more abundantly you see the question that we have to ask ourselves when Jesus says this is what does it look abundantly. What is this abundant life? And so I have one or two suggestions this morning to say, what is the abundant life? What does it really look like? Because I've been coming to church my whole life. I've been here time and time again. I've, been, I've, I've come to church my entire life, and some days I feel, some weeks I feel, some months I feel, maybe it's been years where it's just like, I know I should be here, but it's still not making very much sense to me. And so this morning I hope to address some of this. And And so if you have your Bibles, or if you want to just look at the screen, it might be a little bit easier. If you look at Galatians 5.22, this is what an abundant life might look like. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Would you say that If you were filled with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, would you call it a pretty good life? That'd be a pretty good life, right? If your husband was more patient, would you call it a pretty good life? (laughs) 
If your husband was a little more self-controlling or gentle, would you call it a pretty good life? If your kids or, parent, or children, if your parents were a little more patient, would you call it a pretty good life? When we talk about the abundant life and when Jesus talks about the abundant life, he's not talking about what the televangelist, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I was on, I got to tell this story. I was on, I was watching television and um, on the cable company that we have, it's, um, there's a lot of religious programming. And I don't usually watch to, I just like to watch sometimes just for fun. I, I know that sounds weird, but it's fun for me. And on this one particular thing, they were advertising this thing. This was a guy who was healing people. And he says, if you call now, you will get this free vial of miracle water. And I was like, where did he get that water? Like, did he go to a special place to get this water? Or is it just tap water? How do I know? How do I know it's, it's not just regular water? And I went on to this guy's website just because I wanted to see what this miracle water was all about. I didn't order it, but I'm, I think I'm going to one day. But not because, I need, not because the water is going to perform a miracle in my life. You see, what happens is that Christianity has gotten very good at marketing things that will make your life better. We read books with titles like Your Best Life Now or Becoming the Better You or well, um, What is that? The Purpose Driven Life. Or, like, like we, we, we've gotten very good at marketing a formula that if you do this, then your life will be better. But Christianity is not about your life being better. To say that believing in Jesus and having faith in Jesus is just so that your life can be better or that your life can begin to make more sense is simply just a selfish desire that you have. If your belief in Jesus is simply because you're having a rough day and you want to pray so that it can get better, it's still just a selfish desire. You see, we can talk about worldly desires and we say that, you know, sexual immorality and what is it? What, let's, let's, look at a, let's look at a passage real quick. It's not on the screen. In Galatians chapter 5, um, it's verse 19. It says, now the works of the flesh or these evil desires are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, ri rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. We think about those kinds of things and we say, those desires are bad, so you have to stay away from them. That's not what God wants from you. Those things, bad. Evil desires, bad. But sometimes your desire for God to just fix everything right away is sometimes not a very great desire because then what it says is that you see God as some sort of cosmic Santa Claus, that if you pray hard enough, if you live good enough, you might be able to bend God down and, and see you and say, okay, now I will help you because you're good enough. Is that biblical? And yet we live like that sometimes. We try hard to be good because it's what we think God demands of us, but subconsciously we're doing it because we know that if we're good and then we ask God, then God will say, at least you're trying. You see, our life, your life, isn't just about what you get out of it. It's are you giving God honor and glory through everything that you are doing? This may sound extremely repetitive, but it's because I think it's a message that we have to preach constantly. This life 
It's not just about you and what you want out of it. It's about what God is doing through you, and it's about the story of redemption. The story of redemption is about a God who creates this world, and he makes rules, and he says, if you sin, then you will die. And then somebody sins, and what happens? Does God kill her and him? What does it say? They were in the garden, Adam and Eve. They were in the garden. They heard God walking in the garden, and they hid themselves because they were naked. And so then God says, where are you, right? Because he knew where they were. But he asks, where are you? And they said, we hid because we were ashamed because of our nakedness. And God asks them the pointed question, who said that you were naked? How did you know? They make coverings, like coverings of themselves from the figs, from trees, from bushes. And what does God do? Instead of saying, I'm going to kill you now, he gives them another chance. And God also provides for them new coverings. He covers their nakedness. And in the Old Testament, in the ancient world, to be naked is, is a metaphor. It's symbolic language for being ashamed, for feeling guilty, for feeling dirty, for feeling empty. The feeling you get after you do the thing you know you shouldn't have. And God covers their shame and guilt. In the very beginning, in the garden, when God could have started over and perhaps made you know, a new set of Adam and Eve who would have been better, instead of starting over, he decides to walk alongside them because he believes that they could be, they could, they could trust him better because God believed in Adam and Eve that his creation would ultimately live into the pattern that God intended them to live in. Does that make sense? They decided to live not for themselves anymore, but for God. And so we keep going at this and we keep looking at these verses. What does it mean to live an abundant life? When you are living an abundant life, we see the gifts of the Spirit, which are, which are peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I can, can I be honest with you? This week was so hard. I, I didn't exhibit some of these spirit, uh, fruits of the Spirit. I didn't. Do you ever mean to be mean? Like, do you ever intentionally be mean to somebody? Usually not, right? We try not to be <laughs> And yet this week, I, I think like of the, of the fruits, and I know this sermon and this teaching is not about me, but just to show you that I am just as human as you are, there are some of these things where I was not very patient this week. But it doesn't mean that God pulls away from me and he, does, and he takes away his, his spirit and his favor from me, but God says, okay, you need to work, get out of this rut. I'm not going to just come and supernaturally take you out of this rut. You, you got yourself in there. Get yourself out, but I'm going to walk alongside you every single step of the way. Does that make sense? So we keep going. This is what it looks like to have an abundant life. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the what? Vine dresser. Or he's the one who prunes them and keeps the vines looking good and keeps them healthy. But what Jesus says here, it's loaded with meaning. Jesus says, I am the true vine. If there is one true vine, then what does this implicitly tell us? That there are other vines, that there are other vines that you could go to, but only one of them is the one true vine. The verse would go on to say that whoever does not bear fruit will be pruned. It will be cut off. That is not punishment, though. See, somebody might tell you, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be cut off and you're not going to enter heaven because if you're not bearing fruit, then you're not really committed to Jesus. 
But this is not what this is saying. What happens is if we, if you and I, do not connect daily to the vine, which is Jesus, if we do not daily come before God and entrust ourselves to God, if we don't do that, it's not that God is going to come and cut us off. It's that we cut ourselves off on our own. If you are not connected to the true source of life, you're not going to get killed by God. You're just going to naturally wither and die because you choose to find life in other things. Does that make sense? When you choose to find life in things other than God, you may have stretches of happiness, you may have stretches of sadness. But in the end, if you are looking for life somewhere other than in God, you will ultimately find death, destruction, and decay. Here's the thing. The sermon title for this morning is Be Faithless. But it's not be faithless in God. It's be faithless. Lose faith in the things that you're trying to get life out of now and turn to get life from the one who gives it. Now here's the thing. The article that Dave read, Dave Calder's read this morning about how the lady was on her iPod typing an email and watching the television at the gym. I do that sometimes. <laughs> I do. But what I have found is, obviously, I've, I've, have, I've had to learn to disconnect. When I'm working on sermon stuff, when I'm working on the computer, when I'm reading, I turn my phone to silence so that I'm not distracted by some of these other things. That's just what we have to do. But here's what I have found. We are living in a culture where we are so connected to all of these devices that if we're not getting that, that text message or that email coming through on our smartphones or on our cell phones, it's like there's something missing. I had a talk with a young person, not from this church, but I had a talk with a young person, um, and she said, <laughs> she said, when I don't get text messages, I feel like something's missing in my life. Like there's something wrong, and it makes me sad. And I thought to myself, A, I've been there before at some point. We've only had, I, we haven't had cell phones my whole life, so I'm not that young. But the point is, is like we're so connected, we're so looking for life in all of these other avenues, the TV. If you, if you don't have a TV for a day, it's like something is missing in your life and you're just like, I need to see that television show or I'm going to die. Or the internet, and I'm on the internet a lot, but I try to, I try to you know, look at only good stuff. Not, not that I look at necessarily bad stuff, but there's some stuff that just wastes my time and I try to steer clear of those things. But it's like we look, we, we look to get life in these things that are easy. We look to get life from things that are temporary, that won't last, the things that really don't give us life at all. And all God is saying, I am the true vine. And if you abide in me, I will live in you. I would argue that the best possible way to live it isn't to go through 12 steps or 7 steps. It isn't to make a list of your goals, your 5-year, your 10-year, although those are all really good things and they have a place and I do those things. But the only way to find a satisfying and fulfilling life is when you finally entrust your life to Jesus. Now, this is a message you've heard often. This is a message, I suppose, that if you have children, you teach, your, you teach this to your children. So here's the hard question that I have to wrestle with now. Are you modeling this life for them? This is a pointed question for parents. Have you modeled what a life connected to the vine really looks like?
And so we keep going. If anyone does not abide in me, and he, he is thrown like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and they are burned. This is not punishment, remember. This is just what naturally happens if we're not connected to Jesus daily. And so just to give you an analogy and just to give you an example of this, um, we're going to go to a final story. Just read along with me. I mean, just follow with your eyes. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me, out of, brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many of them on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, O son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone, and it looked, and behold, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no what in them? They looked like human beings. They had flesh. They had bones. They looked just like you and I, but they were lifeless because they lacked the breath of life. Is it possible that there are people in this world who, although they look like they are alive, actually are just merely existing in the pattern and the, and the redundancy of the lives that they have chosen? Is it possible that you look like you are alive, but you are just merely existing in this world? We have been taught that this world is not our what? Home. We are just a passing through. What we have been taught is that if you enjoy any part of this life, you're somehow sinful. Because this is not our home. Because this is the world. This is not where God is asking us to live. We, live, we are going to live in heaven someday, right? Is that what we've been taught? But the scriptures tell a different story. We may spend some time in heaven. A thousand years? But where do we end up living the rest of eternity? In the new Jerusalem that descends from heaven. I'm not saying that we're living heaven because look around, <laughs> we're not. But we have been taught that if we enjoy any part of this life, we are somehow guilty of committing sin because this is not our home. And what ends up happening is we end up just, we look human, we look like we're alive, but we're merely just existing and there's always one bad thing happening after another and we're just like, oh, it's okay. One day we don't have to deal with this anymore. There is two different kinds of people in this world. There are the people who merely exist and there are the people who are truly alive. Jesus comes that we might have life and have it what? Abundantly, fully alive. The thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, to live a mundane, a redundant life that is set that, that, is, that, that becomes meaningless because we don't want to do anything and we cower away because we say if, if we go out into the world, we're going to sin and we're going to fall and we will not enter into eternity. And yet, the scriptures teach us, and this is a story, obviously, this isn't a vision, this wasn't a real thing that was happening, 
Ezekiel is taken into a valley filled with dead bones, dry bones. They are put together. They look like humans, but they were missing something. And what is that? Breath. So here's the next question that you have to ask yourself. Are you merely existing, or can you say that you are truly alive? Are you merely existing, or are you truly alive? And so I want to I deal with one more text before we close. <laughs> Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, what is it? How does that finish? If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. What Jesus is saying is that you have the freedom to do anything and everything you want in this life. Whatever you want, do it. But there's a caveat, an implicit caveat. There are some decisions that you make in the freedom that God has given you that enslave you even deeper. One one analogy that we can use is, um, let's just use alcohol for instance. If you take one drink and you take another drink and you like the way it makes you feel, and the next day you're like, you know what, I want to feel like that again, and you keep coming back to it, what ends up happening is that there is this pattern of addiction that is set to the substance that makes you feel a certain way. Can we agree with that? Can Can we understand that in our minds? And so in our freedom, you can choose to pick up that drink and take it, because it's going to make you feel good. But what happens if you don't stop that, you will, you will, you will, get, you will um, come upon an addiction that is going to lead you into the slavery of, now I need this every single day. Is that freedom or is that slavery? Or you can choose to make decisions that will lead you to more freedom. Does that make sense? In your freedom, there's always an option, always an option. Will you choose life or will you choose death? And only you can choose it for yourself. No one can choose it for you. You have to make the decision. And so the scriptures will continue. And we're going to finish with, this last, with the resolution of the story. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath. Breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. The abundant life is the one in which you are filled with the Spirit of God. But you can only be filled with the Spirit if you are continually and daily open to it. But if your lives become so busy that you can't even spend a few moments in prayer, if your lives are so busy that you can't spend a few moments even just reading scripture, it's not superstitious. It's not going to happen if you read it in the morning. Your day is going to be better. Sometimes your days go horribly bad even when you've read scripture and prayed in the morning. Can I get an amen on that one? (laughs) This is not superstition, okay? We don't read the Bible so that God can, so that we can fill our quota so that then today will be a good day. We read the scriptures because in it the words transform us if we are open to it. We pray not to fill our quota of praying a certain amount of minutes a day. We pray because in it we are opening ourselves up to the Spirit of God. We have lunch and dinner with family and friends because where two or three are gathered in my name, who is present? We always say that when we come to church and no one's here in the morning. and we, when, when two, I don't, I've never heard it here, but where two or three are gathered, God is there. And I always say, no, if I am a Christian and I happen to be having lunch with two of my Christian brothers, God is there. 
do you begin to see God is everywhere. This is God's world. He created it. If you create something, do you leave it and walk away from it? Or is it always, in some sense, yours? This is God's world. This is not the devil's world. The devil is not in control in this world. I hate even preaching about the devil because I think he's pointless. This is God's world. You were created by God to live a life abundantly. You were created by God to have patience and kindness and gentleness. You were created by God to be loving and generous and kind. It's hard to do that sometimes when our priorities are set somewhere other than centering ourselves on God. That should always be the first thing. Because if it's not the first thing, the rest of your life will become disheveled to the point where you're not going to know which way is up. And so I encourage you this week, if you're one of the people who comes to church on Saturday morning because you feel like now I'm going to be better for the rest of the week, I encourage you. Or, and, or if you're the kind of person, rather, who doesn't read scripture all week and who doesn't really pray all week except for before meal times, and that's only because other people are around, and you come to church because this is all of the spirituality and God you're getting, and I may get an email for this, is don't come to church next week. Do this instead. Uh, caveat. Every single day, open up the scriptures. I don't care where, open it. All of the scriptures God breathed. All of it is inspired. Open the scripture any time of the day. It doesn't have to be in the beginning. Open it and pray for six days. Just do it for six days. And see how your life will begin to change. The part about not coming to church is this. If you're the kind of person that is only coming to church to be fed, to be filled, because this is all of the God you're getting. Because today, when we pour out what you've been filling yourself with all week with God. So it's not that I don't want you to come. Obviously, I want you to come. I want you to be here. <laughs> it's that when you do it six days in a row, church will be different for you. Does that make sense? If you're doing it every single day, if you were to miss church, and this is an experiment, miss one day of church you're going to realize, wow, I'm still full. I'm still filled. I still have in me. Church is important. This is the community of faith where we gather, we read scripture together, we pray together, we learn about God. This is an important part. Like church is important because you are a part of the body of Christ. But then God will say, okay, now you get into heaven. That's the wrong reason to come to church. Come to church because we make up a family and a community of believers who are being filled during the week and on Sabbath morning we empty out the goodness that God has given us because God is worthy of our praise. So that's my challenge for you this week. If you're the kind of person that only comes because it's the only time of the week you're getting God, I encourage you just try it for six days and then see what happens on Saturday. Don't look to Saturday to reset and erase the guilty sins of the week before. Work towards it as the center of the week. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, my, my prayer, God, is that the words I have spoken this morning have not gotten in the way of what you were trying to communicate. And God, I pray, almost a selfish prayer, that where I might have said something the wrong way, that you would erase that part in everybody's mind. 
and that they would only be focused on the fact that you are the one who gives life. You are the one who gives breath. And God, I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters this morning that when it becomes difficult to come before you because our time is too, it's too stretched thin, I pray that you would give us a break in our day and that we would be present to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.